And the time exactly 17 past 7 on Radio Veritas. And a very good morning to Father Russell. Morning, Russell. Good morning, Father Imam. Good to talk to you again. Yes, you too. How oh, are you? wonderful, wonderful, lovely talking to you. Well, you've got a lot of interesting things to, sh- to share with us today. I, I was interested, a couple of days ago, I was just sitting and, and, and reading, and I read your wonderful article on uh, Smangalisum Kachwa, or talking about the ANC leadership losing its moral legitimacy to govern. And uh, congratulations, a great article in the Daily Maverick. Thank you very much. And uh, I thought you might like to share with us what, what motivated you to, to go down this road with Father Smangaliso. Well, because of what happened at the ANC's policy conference, really, um, right. you know, I, I don't know if people remember that um, right at the beginning of the conference, uh, the president stood up and gave a speech. And in that speech, he went off um, script and he said some rather hard hitting things about the stalwarts and veterans of the ANC who had asked for a meeting uh, prior to the policy conference to talk about the situation inside the ANC. And the leadership of ANC had initially agreed to this uh, meeting. And then uh, the story goes that they backed down. The leadership of the ANC decided not to go ahead and have this meeting. And there was, uh, you know, various versions of why this had happened. Mm. Um, this prompted... Um, of course, the stalwarts to be quite uh, disappointed because they believed that a policy conference was not possible. A good policy conference was not possible unless the organization dealt with some of its burning internal issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so the ANC went ahead. They had their policy conference. They did not involve the stalwarts. The stalwarts then decided about 105 of them not to attend the conference, uh, to boycott it almost, uh, is what they did. In his opening speech, Zuma stood up. And he said some uh, things about them. Uh, you know, he, he basically dismissed them. And this caused a lot of eyebrows within the ANC, people present, to raise and to say, well, what's going on here? You know, because some of these people are people who have got pretty good credentials and are still uh, sitting with some moral authority. Mm. Anyway, um, so I thought, well, it would be good to speak to one of these stalwarts who was a signatory to... Um, the um, uh, document that they sent uh, to the to the uh, ANC in December, already asking for this meeting, right. and uh, Father Kachwa was one of those um, signatories. So, you know, America Magazine was also asking me for something on the ANC's policy conference, and there's not too much one can get in there from a Catholic angle. So I thought, well, let me talk to Father Kachwa to find out what exactly he thinks about these things. Mm. And so I, I wrote something up for American magazine, but some of it was really pertinent to South Africa that Americans wouldn't understand. And so I, I did a second piece, mm. which was in the Daily Maverick, um, speaking to Father Kachwa, where he raised issues around, for example, the public protector, the police, and things like that, mm. um, saying that, you know, the ANC has really lost its, its, its moral, its leadership has lost its moral authority. Mm. And, and I'm glad you spoke to him because, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's been involved in the struggle for years. I mean, he and I were students together, in, you know, in the 1960s. And uh, so I, I, I knew uh, Smangaliso already in those years. But, you know, since then he was a member of parliament. He was the deputy minister of education and the mayor of Tswane. So he speaks with a lot of authority. And now he's the, what do they call him? Is he the director of the moral rejuvenation movement? 
regeneration movement. Yes, more regeneration. And of he was also he was also um, I think before your time, I think he was um, secretary general of the bishops' conference. He was yes before before my time. Yes, yes, he mm. was, and a very and good Father secretary Kachar general. Received a lot of criticism mm. from certain quarters about mm. his political um, activity and being involved in in, in politics. Right. In many ways, it was him who was able to keep the bishops informed right. about what was really going on in the country and what was going on within the ANC in the years when it was very difficult to, to really know. Mm. And I think, uh, you know, um, for all the critique one might want to heap towards him, mm. I think that, uh, you know, he, for the most part, has done a fairly good uh, good job. Yes. And, yes. Uh, you know, some people were criticizing him for his time as, as mayor of Tswane. He, he spoke a little bit about that as well. You know, and, and the difficulties of taking over and running a place where, you know, and this is what I think people in South Africa very often don't understand, is it's all very well to say, okay, well, the ANC government should have done things in 20 years. The deep, deep, or deeply rooted problems in many metros, in many cities, in villages in this country that were structurally set up under the apartheid government are things that one does not just wipe away in, in, in a couple of years. You know, 20 years is not a long time. And I, in no way am I trying to defend the fact that the ANC, you know, I, I think has lost its way. Mm. But I think as well, one has to be very careful about this. Um, I, I noticed someone, for example, responding to that article um, on the Jesuit Institute's Facebook page wrote a rather nasty comment, sort of suggesting that, you know, oh, well, when he was mayor of Tswane, things were a mess and blah, blah, If you look at the Pretoria Metropole and you look at how divided that city was and how structurally it was set up to mm. make sure that some people were not included, uh, and that comes on all sorts of infrastructural things. You, you know, one realizes you're dealing here with a much, much bigger problem. Mm, yeah, indeed, indeed. But, you know, he's, he, Smuggler is very blunt. And he says, the ANC I joined and fought in was a glorious movement. It is no longer. Yes, that's a direct quote from him. Mm. Um, I recorded the whole interview. I, you know, there's a sense of disillusionment in a lot of these stalwarts and veterans, and I think he's, you know, his insight into um, the fact that this, this rampant materialism seems to have eaten at the very core of the of the moral, moral and ethical authority that the ANC had is a very important insight, and mm. linked to that, of course corruption where people are just in, in, in it for themselves. Yeah. Um, you know, that how all of a sudden, and, you know, he would talk as well about things like, well, you know, we're talking about trying to, to have access for all to this, that, the next thing. But mm-hmm. in reality, you know, the, the so-called white elite have been, are slowly being replaced by a black elite. Mm-hmm. And this is by no means the majority of people in this country. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, a very powerful insight that. And, mm. and, and for him to sit there and say that, he is someone who is a, a loyal carder of mm. the ANC and still is a card-carrying member and still believes that, you know, some sort of renewal and rejuvenation mm. is possible if they get rid of the current leadership and get a new leadership mm. altogether mm. Is, is a very powerful uh, statement to make when, in a way... That's what he's given his life to. Right. Russell, did, did, did you get the feeling that, that, that there was still a glimmer of hope in, in, in him? Yes, I think there was, definitely. Okay. Um, he speaks about, I mean, he speaks about not the ANC declining, you know, quite a lot by 2019. Yeah. But he still says he, he believes and he hopes the fact that some sort of renewal is possible if in December... 
the ANC gets the right leadership. And then he goes on to describe the sort of leadership. Mm. He, he describes someone who's upright, someone, you know, who's honest, someone who, who's, who's ethical. Mm. He says someone who's got a good heart. Mm. And he speaks about a number of the people who are being kind of bandied about, whose names are being bandied about for for president, not mentioning anybody by name, but sort of saying, well, you know, I'm hoping that somebody else enters the race because I feel still that there's an essential quality that's missing. Mm. So I think there is hope, but I, but I think he's a realist, and I think he does realize mm. that the ANC is in serious trouble as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's a great article that you've written there, I must say, lots of insights, and, and I take my hat off to Mkachwa because he's, he's really been very, very honest in what he's been saying here. No, and, and I think that's absolutely true. I think yeah. he was very honest. And the other thing I detected was, which is interesting, um, you know, Father Emil, is, you know, often one meets with these people who who are, called, who are sort of um, angry or politically sort of forceful about issues. Father Mkatra, as I remember him from way back, um, and now, I mean, you can see, you know, he, he's a lot older now, and he, I don't know what word to use, but he's kind of mellowed or chilled, and... There's a real, uh, there's a real um, kind of fatherliness about him in, in just sitting and talking to him, yeah. um, and, and there's this kind of brutal honesty about us. It, it, was, it was really a very uh, the last time that I remember sitting in front of somebody yeah. and thinking to myself, there is a lot of integrity here, and uh, you know, and this man has been through a difficult uh, uh, um, uh, phase or whatever or time, and yet has chosen. Mm. You still take, uh, you know, the ethical path. Right, yeah. Uh, was when I sat in front of Provin Gordon in May for yes. the interview with the Daily Maverick. Right, yes, yes. Anyway, a very interesting article. I can certainly recommend that people read this. Where, where can they get it? Only in the Daily Maverick? Yes, it's, it's only been published because it was a, an exclusive interview for them. And America Magazine is publishing a part of that, but not. it hasn't got all the South African stuff in, obviously, okay. because the Americans won't uh, right. get all the stuff about public protector or whatever, but That's there's right. a sort of synopsis mm. of that in, in coming in America right. Magazine tomorrow. Mm, okay. Well, Laura Russell, congratulations. A great, great article and lots of insights, and thank you for taking that initiative. Can we move on? Sure. Um, you know, this this other thing that's in the news at the moment, every worship center and religious practitioner must be registered with an umbrella organization. The commission says that these institutions will be accredited by the CRL Commission to ensure that religious leaders are thoroughly vetted. And I thought you might have some thoughts about this. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting one, and I sit on the fence because I understand the problem that has given rise to the discussion around this in the first place. We need to take people back. We need to remember people uh, who were, had doom sprayed in their faces, were told to eat ratics or yeah. some sexual thing was involved. Uh, you know, the, the, these these things were happening in, 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 in some of these. I don't even know what kind of churches one wants to call them. But, you know, that God was um, forgiving people when they when they drank ratics or, I don't know, had doom sprayed in their faces. Um, mm. And in some places there was... There was, uh, you know, uh, pastors doing sexual things with people and claiming that this was the will of God. And we've just seen recently this prophet Zimbara, whatever his name is, claiming that, you know, he, he, he's wrestled with the devil all night and now he's killed the devil. I mean, there's a craziness to religion. Mm. And and people get caught up in a, in a sort of euphoria. You know, now one could argue whether, you know, if you have doom spread in your face and you go back the next weekend, you, you have to wonder how... 
how intelligent such people are mm. to, to go back, to, to, to have that done to them again. But there was this concern raised that some pastors or in some churches, these kinds of practices were actually endangering the lives of people. Now, I wondered why they never brought criminal cases against these people, but they, but they didn't do that. Uh, they had this commission that looked at these things, that studied this, and now they've said religious practitioners like psychologists or doctors have to be registered. Whether this is an impingement on freedom of religion, which is anti-constitutional, is a debate which I think will play out. Um, Because I think, uh, you know, when you start to regulate, I mean, how do you decide which practitioners are bona fide and which are not? I mean, this becomes very murky waters, given the huge religious spectrum one has in a place like South Africa. Mm. So the the commission is saying that religious practitioners have to be um, registered, with institutions or with their institutions. What's not clear to me is, do I, as an individual, Russell, have to go now and be registered as a priest, or do I, am I registered for the Catholic Church, which is which is uh, seen as an institution that can regulate things yeah, and hopefully do some sort of peer review. But what happens if there is a crazy priest who does something crazy, uh, you know, which is not completely impossible? Uh, where does that leave the rest of us? Yeah. So I think it's I think it's a very uh, murky place to be. I think it's a it's a dangerous place to be. But I do understand in one sense why uh, this commission feels the need to protect people mm-hmm. from these. He's really crazy people. Mm. Well, you know, I, I go back to the days of apartheid. I remember going to John Forster Square one day, and, and uh, I was talking to the captain, whoever it was, and he had on his desk a pile of folders at least almost two feet high. And he says, these are so-called churches where these people are just trying to make money and to uh, bypass uh, paying taxes and all that sort of thing. I mean, these were churches that they wanted to investigate. But I think today there's been such a proliferation of churches. And one wonders, is it genuine or is it just money-making? Yeah, and that's exactly right. I mean, that's one of the things the commission uh, brought up, that some of these people are making huge amounts of money. They're not paying tax. Mm. Um, you know, they're making more money than you and I can even dream of making. Right. I mean, you know, uh, the one month's collection in some of those churches will run Radio Veritas for another 10 years without yeah. having to do any, any fundraising. I mean, mm. it's phenomenal, the amount of money that's, yeah. that's in religion. Right, yeah. So I understand the concerns, but I am also concerned about the question of freedom of religion. Mm. And then the third question for me is about the people who attend these churches. I right. mean, I don't want to sound judgmental or harsh, but... When you do go to a church and the pastor telling you that he has to spray doom in your face, yeah. I mean, you know, our intelligence levels uh, yeah. need to maybe be questioned. I mean, are we so gullible? Yeah. Are we so gullible that we'll have someone spray doom in our face and still give them, you know, a thousand rand in in, in the collection or the offering or whatever? Yeah. I, I think I yeah. think there's also something going on in, in our... And I wonder if it's not a sense of desperation yeah. sometimes yeah. Um, that, that drives people to accept this kind of craziness, you mm. know, the, these moments of craziness mm. in, in these sorts of churches. Mm-mm-mm. Anyway, it's an interesting thing that's taking place, and uh, we're going to keep an eye on that. Anything more you want to share about that now? No, I mean, that's, that's what I know it. about. Yeah. And I have asked some of the bishops for comment yeah. um, just to find out what the church is going to... I haven't heard back yet, but... Yeah to find out what the church is going to do about this and what the church is saying about this because yeah. I think it's important I think they've asked religious bodies to 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 comment on on what the commission has said mm. and I think it should be a real miss uh, not to uh, offer comments on this right. um, 
And like I say, one also needs a constitutional lawyer to to answer the questions around freedom of religion right. in, in the Constitution and how this may in any way impinge upon that, uh, that right. freedom. Mm. Okay, Father, thank you so much for that. What about the winter living theology that's taking place? I, I have the feeling that it's going very well around the country. Yes, we had, we had wonderful numbers in Johannesburg, the highest ever, and more priests at Winter Living Theology than what we've seen for the last couple of years. Okay. Um, I think you interviewed uh, Father Weston. I mean, he's a, he's a fantastic speaker and storyteller, and he really keeps people very captivated as he yes, talks, yes, yes. shares his experience. Um, and, and he, you know, he's talking as someone from the inside because he, he himself struggled with uh, addiction. And he has these kinds of insights that maybe somebody who is working in that sphere but hasn't been there themselves just won't have. And I think, and I think for many people this has been the, the power in, in the things that he's had to say is that he really comes at it from an angle of, of um, credibility because of his own experience. And he can tell wonderful stories about you know, when he was still uh, drinking pretty heavily and, and, how he, you know, and how he kind of got through um, philosophy and was teaching in L.A. in a school and what it was like to to sort of be drunk in the Jesuit dining room and things like that. Mm. So, you know, I, I think that stuff really... Um, and what we've noticed is we, we've had such a broad range of people because we've had people who have been addicts. Mm. We, we have people who are working with addicts. We've had the parents of many young people who are really struggling with addiction. Mm. And, and we've heard stories from these people about just how in some of our communities here in South Africa they're being ripped apart by, by, uh, by drugs and by alcohol. Mm. Um, we've had young people who have come who have been struggling with addiction and after a day or two have found it so painful that they've actually left and haven't come back to the rest of the week. And Father Weston says, I understand this. I, you know, there's only so much one can take when, 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 when the stuff is put in your face. Mm. So, so it's going pretty well. I, I'm disappointed with the numbers in Port Elizabeth where we are at the moment. Um, right. I, I, I thought we would have got bigger numbers. Next week he's in Cape Town. Right. And then the following week he is uh, in Durban. Um, but uh, I, you know, and, and it is without trying to blow our own trumpets or anything. I mean, I think that for people who haven't come and, and, and people in schools, teachers, parents, uh, pastors in communities, I think you've really missed out on a, on a good opportunity uh-huh. to learn something about addiction from the inside with some sort of theological input Right. And also with with a sense of, of a pastoral response. Right, yeah. All right, Russell, thank you very much for that. We have to wrap up. We've gone over time. Anything more you'd like to say? Loud out to see initiative and so on? Well, we've, we've got this workbook uh, that we've published, which I think we've spoken about, which uh, is done in five sections, which uh, tries to help people to reflect on Laudato Si. We try to apply the principles of Laudato Si to our local context here in South Africa. Uh-huh. And after each of those chapters, there's a couple of questions for dialogue or for reflection. Many, many priests I've met while doing Winter Living Theology have admitted to me they haven't even read Laudato Si yet. They haven't looked at it. This is an opportunity to look at it, to read it uh, in, in, in 50 or 60 uh, full-color pages. We're trying to give you the still-down the very essential of what Laudato Si is saying. So it can be used by priests to educate themselves. It can be used with parish groups. It can be used in schools, the catechists, uh, high school teachers looking at maybe what they want to do in religious or, 
whatever program they're running to, to, to expose young people to some of these things. Uh, so it, it's a very versatile book, and mm. it's available from the Jesuit Institute for 120 Rand, A4 full color. There we go. Russell, we have to leave it there. Thank you very, very much for sharing with us. It's always lovely talking to you, and enjoy Cape Town and uh, Port Elizabeth. I'm I'm in Port Elizabeth and I'm coming home uh, uh, on Saturday. Okay. Uh, when he moves on to Cape Town, and one of my other colleagues is going with him to Cape Town. Okay. Uh, so I'll be in Johannesburg and I'll miss out on the mother city. Imagine that. Oh my goodness! All right, Father <laughs> Russell, thank you very much indeed, and thanks for sharing. Okay, all the best. There we go. That's Father Russell Pollitt.